Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to the Dynamic Dojo Show with Restita and Robert, your source for martial arts talk radio. Three, two, one, we're live. chilly down here. It, it reached about 60 degrees. <laughs> but, dude, it has been so hot here. Thanksgiving, it was 91 degrees. It's been in the 90s ever since. Even today, they said it was going to be in the 70s. It was in 85. It was ridiculously hot. Wow. That's, that's, that's crazy. Now, how hot was it well, over there? How hot was it over there? In Yucca Valley today, yeah. uh, today the weather was 82 degrees. However, all However. next week it's going to go down to the uh, low 60s, high 50s during the day, and then low 40s at night. Wow, low 40s starting next week. Like yeah, it does. In that? fact, the week after that, it's going to get even colder still. So. By the time hey. you get here, <laughs> yeah, it should it'll, be a bit like cold. Seattle. It'll feel like Seattle. I'll be like, what are you all wearing? Only much drier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we got Tony Collins watching, and he says, yes, you are live. Bobby Edmonds, how you doing, Bobby? He says, red fives. And Ted Mattingly from Hawaii, wishing us a great, great show. He says, respect to all one spirit. Many Fernandez listening. Um, who else? Uh, Susanna Dolan just joined. Stephen Fighty Morris just joined. Randy King joined. Ooh. Hey, Stephen. Lonnie joined. Brian Sager joined. Jim Thomas joined. Hey. Bowser joined. Wow. My goodness. Um, howdy, Tony, howdy. Tony Collins says it is like 43 here. Give that man a bowel. A bowel? What? <laughs> a bowel. Give that man a bowel. You remember, <laughs> you remember, you remember that game show? <laughs> he wrote bowel. B-O-W-E-L. Give that man a bowel. Anyway, Gerald Okamura. <laughs> just going. How you doing, Gerald? Happy Gerald, belated birthday, hi, Gerald. Gerald. Happy yes. belated birthday. Happy belated birthday. Couple days ago. And Janie, our one of our loyal listeners, is uh, listening also. Very cool. We've got a full house here at the dojo, but stay tuned, folks. We're going to be joined by Joe Franklin. He is a judo and jiu-jitsu practitioner, and we'll be talking to him a little bit later. So let's get moving on with the show. What's going on in your neck of the woods there, Bob? 
Not not a whole lot. Enjoyed this nice four-day weekend. Beautiful Thanksgiving. Brought my daughter up from UCLA to spend it with us, and she's been a regular yeah. raging pain in my ass, as always. But it's been <laughs> fun. <laughs> oh, lucky you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so, no, no cool material this time around here, Bob? From your family? <laughs> no, but, you know, they don't do any funny stuff anymore. They really don't. They avoid, I think they started avoiding talking to me, and usually I welcome that. But it's like, give me some show material here. I got nothing. It's like, oh, my God, I am dry here. I'm drying up without my family doing some funny stuff for me. That's funny. Yeah. Because they know like, that give me something, give me anything. They know where it's going to end up. Throw that dog a bone. Give that man a bowel. Yes. <laughs> Can't, give me a, oh, by, by, yeah. By the way, Tony, I'm very moved at your comment about giving him a bowel. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for giving that. I wasn't sure if that was going to go. Right. <laughs> got it. I got it. That's funny. Oh my god. Oh, so how are things down there in in Yucca Valley? What's up? What's uh, what's the latest news, Pat? The latest news in Yucca Valley is that maybe ten minutes away in Pioneer Town, there's this really awesome Western village that um, is going to be uh, holding. Uh, there's this really neat Western style house in a, in this little Western town that uh, is now going to be officiating weddings. And um, I will be officiating some of the weddings when they want uh, a female to to do that. So yay! Oh, badass! Awesome! Right yeah. Hey, very cool. Really, so does that mean cool. they dress you up in period clothing as the minister? You know. You know. I'll, I'll be. I'm just gonna wear western garb because, yeah, I'm just gonna wear western garb. <laughs> oh, I mean western as in like you know you're gonna go line dancing or something. Kind of Western garb. Yeah. Although <laughs> I'm probably not going to wear a skirt. Probably yeah. just going to wear pants. Oh, yeah. ladies, ladies don't wear skirts all that often when they go line dancing. You wear their jeans. And their it's true. Shirt. You're right about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Right. There's on. a whole group that goes line dancing there on Wednesday nights. It's really neat. Oh, nice. Pioneer Town. We don't have a Pioneer Town over yeah. here. I think we would, because you know downtown Seattle <clears throat> was founded by a bunch of pioneers in the 1800s. But you know, it's not the wild, wild west. It's a, so, it's a pretty neat town. I like it. I want, I want to go check it out. It's kind of cool. We're gonna. All right. Very cool. Well, all right, let's get this show on the road, shall we? Let's get started with birthdays. Bob, who do you have for birthdays on your end? Birthdays on my end. Uh, what's today? Today's the 26th, right? 26th. Yeah. Well, today is Sensei Alfred Akita's birthday. Nice. Uh, on the 27th, uh-huh. uh, martial artist, ex he did so much. It's hard to describe what this man did for Black Belt Magazine. He was the editor. He did so much. Jo- John Corcoran's birthday is tomorrow. Uh, yeah. uh, our buddy oh, Toy, Toy, Toy Lay, 
Her birthday is on the 29th. Our buddy Jennifer New's birthday is on the 1st. Savat Professor Salem Astley, his birthday is on the 2nd. And Larry Curry Sr., his birthday is on the 2nd as well. And that's my birthdays for this week. Nice. I have a few also. On the 28th, two people, Master Randy Dwayne Thomas and uh, Riza Bediones. On the 29th, a prior Wushu student of mine, Kevin Trong. On the 30th, another previous student, Angela Chow. And my very first black belt that I promoted in Kutokukan Karate, Jim Hewitt. Their birthdays are on the 30th. On the 1st of December, Sheila Austin White, one of my uh, whip-cracking students. And Daniel Pasco, who also is a whip enthusiast. On the 2nd, we've got Melvin McKenzie. Nazario Saitanko Johnson and Sensei Delina Fuchs. And I think that is that it for my birthday. I think that's it for my birthdays. What about you, Kat? Do you have uh, do you know anyone having a birthday this month? I I would love to say yes or yes or I do, but I don't know how to check. So I'm sorry. I don't I don't know anybody <laughs> whose birthday is going on now. That's okay. All right. Well, Let's uh, let's wish everyone a happy birthday this week. When when is Saturday? Is that the first? That is the first, isn't it? Or wait, that's the second. Yeah. So the second for everyone, Saturday, yeah. Yeah, for everyone having a birthday this week, this tune's for you. because of the holidays, but there's a whole bunch of great stuff happening. So we're going to turn the mic over to Bob, and he's going to give us a lowdown on some upcoming events at the Martial Arts History Museum. Well, the first one's going to be on the second. Next Saturday, we're having a very special event. This is going to be the Martial Arts History Museum Potluck Christmas Party, along with a book signing by Art Camacho. It's going to be a really fun event. We're going to do some Facebook Live. We're going to eat a lot of food. Art's going to be there signing his book. 
It's going to be a great event. The Martin's Lodge is Museum at 2319 West Magnolia Boulevard in the city of Burbank. So if you're around the Los Angeles Burbank area, swing on by. The only entrance is food. Bring food, bring drinks, no chips. I got, I got yeah. to emphasize that enough because if you don't say that, you're going to have a thousand bags of Lay's. Yeah, and yeah, and that's the one thing that drives me insane about potlucks. And did I say that drove me insane? It drives me insane when people bring chips and then they pile food on their plate like they haven't eaten in three days. That drives me insane. Yes. <laughs> but and of on. course, the next big e- event is going to be on the 16th and 17th, which you're flying in for, is going to be the Martial Arts Museum's second annual telethon, even though the first annual and the second annual are technically being done in the same year. Uh, we're putting together, we need acts, we need demos, singers, dancers, comedians, hula, you name it, we need it. We've got a few comedians so far. We've got Mark Hoadley, Adam Barnhart, Jeff Husbands, Billy Batts, Daryl Kamak, Dano Carter, Leland Helfen, Heidi Lau, and Mark Goldberg uh, as the comedians. We're also going to have demos. You and I are going to do something uh, together. Uh, America's Abbasamas is going to do another sumo thing. Uh, oh, nice. Joyce, Joyce Wang is stepping up. Uh, she still won't tell me what she does. I know she's an actress and a performer, which is great. Uh, Lynn Lou is going to get her buddy Bill Perone to uh, do some magic. Uh, hopefully uh, Jenny's emailed some people. Uh, it's a very busy month, though, for a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people have expressed they can't make it. Uh, it's the same weekend as Dr. Bob's uh, anti-aging convention in Vegas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of so, people. Uh, Our other crew member, Lady Lane. There are Lane. a lot of people going to that. <clears throat> yeah, Lady Lane won't be won't be with us. Uh, Frank Marquez, uh, a bunch of people can't make it. Uh, Angie Abad won't be able to make it. But uh, I think we have time. We're going to get get some good people. Uh, I guess America's Abbasama started driving Uber. So what happened was that he got. Michael had made him some some headrests for his car like I have in mine. So now there's three Uber drivers in Los Angeles that have advertisement for the Martial Arts History Museum, which is is pretty cool. Uh, And today they just got into the museum the uniform for Pendecker Paul de Troyes from his daughter and her husband, which is awesome. And Michael said that Pendecker is his actual cousin, blood relative. Wow. I'm trying to follow how many cousins and relatives he has. It's hard. I can't keep track of Michael without a scorecard. (laughs) Oh, man. Right on. Very cool. Uh, But, yeah. That's going to be really cool. And and, and, uh, And that's a free event. The museum will be open all day. The hours are going to be, which I almost forgot to mention, the hours are going to be on Saturday on the 16th from 11 a.m. until midnight. And then on Sunday, it's going to be 11 to 6. Uh, The museum is going to be absolutely free that day to everybody who wants to walk in. 
Free. Uh, absolutely free, folks. Free. Absolutely free. Uh, <laughs> in February, we we uh, got we raised seven thousand dollars for the museum. Mm-hmm. So and that this fun. this time we want to raise even more. That was a blast. We had so much fun and it was so busy. We were so exhausted at the end. Oh my well, god, know. we looked like <laughs> we looked like crap. I think it around like I think it was almost three or something because I was already up for twenty four hours at around three at that point. Yeah, right, right around two or three. You're already up for that long. Yeah, it was twenty four hours, and I remember we were talking about like martial arts movies or something, and. My head started like lollygagging around like a bladder on a stick. <laughs> yeah. Live, live on the air. I'm, I'm like nodding off and I'm just like, I can't keep track of what's going on. What's my name? And, and all that other kind of stuff. But, I know. That's why I begged Michael, let's do two days. I mean, you and I can do, you know, the 14 hour was set up and, and all that. But, and the next day is only seven hours. We can do that standing on our heads. Yeah, right. John Lupo writes in, and he said, "I'd probably show up with a whole, uh, a huge pan of ziti and a few loaves of beer bread." You're on, John. You're on. We're gonna need, we're gonna need uh, food to, to help act, uh, keep going, and and us keep going. Now, Bob, who do they get a hold of? If they want to perform, do they get a hold of you specifically because you're already there? Um, yeah. Or my- yeah, get a hold of me because I'll be the one writing the schedule on Excel spreadsheet. Okay, awesome. That folks get a hold of Robert Deal. He's not listed on Facebook as Bob. He is Robert Deal, D-E-A-H-L. And, uh, you know, Bob, if you comment on the feed, they'll, they'll, they'll have your profile. Oh, All right. Okay. That's a good idea. Yeah. So I think that's it for the martial arts uh, history museum news and events. I there's nothing going on in this neck of the woods either. What about you, Kat? Do you have anything going on in your neck of the woods? Um, nothing that I can think of except that here in Yucca Valley next month we're going to have a guest instructor. Her name is Justita De Jesus. <laughs> And she'll be teaching some really awesome stick and knife classes. All right. This will be at the Americana Jiu-Jitsu Collective. Yay. Come on, come on. Yeah, otherwise in this neck of the woods. Yeah, that's right. Yucca Valley. Make a drive, folks. Yucca Valley. That's right. (laughs) I just just got a text. Um, hold on. <clears throat> I just got a text. Um, I guess they're a- asking a question for, for the radio show. Asking me, can you throw fireball? <laughs> <laughs> I can. I know how to throw fireballs. <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> I could. I do. Yeah. I know how to throw them. Do you? Okay. I, could. I was going to say I could, but not like the, you know, uh, not like in the Hadouken type of way or anything like that. <laughs> anyway, so I guess that's it. Ricky, you know, right now I can't. But if um, I technically can, you know what I mean. Anyway. 
I love Fireburns. They're awesome. All right, let's move on. Let's get moving on to the health news. demographic data on 3.4 million Swedes uh, between the ages of 40 to 80. In Sweden, I almost went Sweden. In Sweden, all dogs are registered with the Swedish Board of Agriculture and identified by number with an ear tattoo or a subcutaneous chip. Anyone with a record of cardiovascular disease before the 12-year study be- uh, began were excluded, and the researchers controlled for age, sex, marital status, income, and other factors. Owning a dog was associated with 20% lower risk of all death and a 23% lower risk of death from cardiovascular disease. Now, the study is listed in scientific reports. And um, if anyone's interested in that, let me know, and I'll put a link on the Dynamic Dojo Facebook page. But this effect was stronger with certain breeds particularly pointers and retrievers. The senior author, Tovey Fall, an epidemiologist at Uppsala University, suggested that this may reflect different kinds of owners. So picture an owner of a Labrador retriever and then one who has a Pomeranian. Owning a dog is a good motivation. It may provide some social support, Dr. Fall said. But the study does not prove cause and effect and in any case, not everyone is up to owning a dog. Don't give a dog to your grandmother, though, in the hope that she'll live longer. <laughs> so that's that's it for that's it for the, for that. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's it for the health news. Uh, I think we can go on to weird news. We got for weird news there, Bob. Well, well, this is a quick one. This is only a short blurb. You know, back in the day, remember when they were fantasizing what the world was going to be like? We were having, you know, uh, flying cars by the year 2000. And, you know, that's how the Jetsons came about and that sort of thing. Well, right. for a long time now, they've had jet-powered suits. Like like jet backpacks, almost jet packs, and a new one in England, I believe, set a new Guinness Book World Record for the fastest for the let's see what's it jet powered suit sets new fastest speed as world records tumble. Now it's you know I I wanted to read this because I thought wow how fast could it have gone to set a world's record. This jetpack went a whopping 32 miles an hour. <laughs> well, it's still a jetpack. I imagine something completely different. I imagine <laughs> something where the guy's face was, you know how you get those in like, like rides at Disneyland where you go really fast, you, your face like, like goes to the back of your neck. <laughs> That's what I was imagining. I was imagining that kind of speed. Right. You know, oh where God. the guy's hair was, was, no, it's 32 miles an hour. 
which I guess is fast for a jetpack. But when they said jetpack, you think jet, you think ultra, ultra high speed. Well, that wasn't the case. So that is my weird news for the night. All right. Well, then, I guess it's All right. great. I guess it's straight on to the entertainment industry. All right. CBS is being sued. A widow Uh-oh. of a CBS engineer who died accidentally from hanging during an autoerotic act is suing the network, which denied her life insurance claim. This is, this is actually the same way that David Carradine took his life. Mm. The exact same way. Deborah Deborah Conradi claims in a lawsuit her husband, Lawrence Lefebvre, was in Tarentum, uh, PA, in June 2016 when he was found dead in the closet of his hotel room, the result of hanging while performing an an autoerotic act. He was found in a partial kneeling position, hanging from a wire closet shelf in his hotel room from a scarf. He was wearing... <laughs> okay, I, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this one or not. He was wearing a slip bra and woman's underwear and pantyhose. He was wearing a what? <laughs> a what? He was wearing... That's what I said when slip I read it. Slip bra, like, no. underwear, and pantyhose. Oh. Yes. Oh, oh, oh. The medical bra. examiner. Yeah, a, a slip, slip, comma, bra. Bra. Okay, okay. I'm like, what's a slip bra? Right. Okay. Huh. All right. The, the death is accidental, the result of asphyxiation. Turns out the CBS life insurance policy written by AIG now has a specific exclusion for auto. Are you kidding me? What? They have a specific in- exclusion about autoeroticism. Autoeroticism. Yeah. A letter to Deborah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They have it. It's actually their policy. Oh my God. Wow. Is this a is this a problem? <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, no. Maybe. If they. <laughs> if there has it has maybe. to be. If it's like why why did McDonald's put caution hot on their coffee cups because there's a problem with morons spelling it on themselves right right so they they sent a letter to deborah which reads in part these actions which carried the risk of death by hanging would not constitute an unanticipated accident that resulted in his death as required by our policy rather they would indicate death result in in who or in part from a natural and probability consequence of a, of intentionally self-inflicted injury specifically excluded under this policy. Deborah clearly begs to differ, insisting her husband's death was accidental. Deborah is suing CBS and IAG for $1.4 million in life insurance benefits as well as punitive damages. Now, with that said, a lot of of life insurance policies are written to say, if you take your own life, you will not be covered, period. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, 
Oh man, wild. <clears throat> that's, now, who that's is horrible, though. The, now, who? Pardon, pardon me if I if I'm seeming kind of like out of the loop. But who is Deborah Condrati and her husband? I mean, who are these people? Where? Well, he was a he was an engineer for CBS. Oh, okay. And okay. She, and she is his widow. Got it. Okay. So she's trying to collect on his life insurance policy, and she's being denied the claim because of the cause of death. Wow, because of they of their exclusion. Okay. On on the life insurance. Right, because wow. of their exclusion. Wow. Wow. Now wow. you know I want to say something about entertainment this week. We've been okay. losing a lot of people this week. Yes. Or the last couple of weeks. Of course, right. thank God Charles Manson's gone. We don't have to support his ass anymore. But we lost Della Reese. Now, right. when, when David Cassidy died, I felt like a part of my childhood went with it. Yeah. I, grew, yeah. I even saw that guy on, on Broadway. I met him 15 years ago at a cigar wow. shop in Studio City. One, one, wow. you, you know the liquor store we go to sometimes to get drinks and stuff when you're here, Vendome Liquor? Right. He right. used to shop there. Really? So he will be, he, yeah, he will be missed. You just posted something about uh, what band lost their guitar player? Um, yeah. Was it Nirvana? No. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> um, <laughs> ACDC? I don't remember. Yeah, it was ACDC, that's it. Yeah, I posted a lot we of just people. lost a lot of people. That's Domino. We, just an amazing amount of, of people. Now, my point is with that... Getting uh, Pendekar's uniform was that we have to keep the memories alive through the Martial Arts History Museum because we are starting to lose so many of the icons from Bill Riyasaki to Pendekar right. Paul to, uh, uh, oh God, I'm having a brain fade. And that's what happens when you, when, when, when you get old Richard Basio, yeah. people like yeah. that, that we've got to hang on to. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, exactly. It's, you know, it's, I think the only thing I can say is, you know, if you have the opportunity to study what these older masters do, it doesn't matter if technically your style or not, you know, go out and learn something different, folks, you know? Um, yeah. Or they're gone. I tell you, Dan Dan Masanto is 80 years old, and he's still teaching, He's still traveling literally all over the world teaching seminars. And there are many parents who, even though the kids, you know, want to trail off and do something else, they tell them, no, this is your only opportunity to train with somebody who is incredibly brilliant at what he does. And I'm not letting you quit. Exactly. And that's good. That's, uh, that, that is, is good. good. Oh, that's great. It is, because, like, normally, you know, you know a lot I, of... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I, you know, I see a lot of Guru's uh, videos on YouTube, and the guy is just one of the most amazing martial artists I've ever seen. Right. Uh, healthy, even though he is 80, he's getting up there, but he's still so active and and just looks so good at what he does. He's not, you know, even though he may he may be another ten, twenty years, he's not going to live forever. Right. Exactly. You know. Get out there, folks. 
you know, train with the older masters, well, yep. train with masters in your style or other style before they're gone. Yeah. <clears throat> what was that, Kat? Nothing. Well, I was just going to say that, you know, he he's very good at self-care. He... You know, for for the hours that he trains, he still trains. He still learns new things, and he also gets massages and he soaks in hot baths and he gets cupping done. And he's he does a lot of self care as well as uh, and maintenance as well as uh, continuing to teach and train. So, you know, that's one way to stay healthy while you're training that's... and getting up there in age. Yeah. Right. Right on. All right, that is it for entertainment. We've got a new segment. It just started last week. It is Cat's Corner, so let's get moving on to Cat's Corner. All right, so Cat's Corner is we choose (laughs) one question that um, out of the many that are submitted to us throughout the week, and uh, we pick one. And Kat gets to answer it live on the air. However, this uh, this week, um, I think we'll have time to answer both. I think that uh, uh, the answer is distinct. But the first question, the first question, what's going on here? Echo, 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 echo. Yeah, there's a huge echo. Yeah, there's a huge echo. Ah, me too. Hold on, hold on. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. Oh, yes. <clears throat> you you had to. You're always doing something. <laughs> <laughs> You're the one in control of the board, girl. It's I you. Did not, I did nothing. <laughs> okay, so question number one for Cat's Corner. Cat. Where do you feel martial arts will be in 10 years? And this question was submitted by Tony Collins. Well, Tony, I think that martial arts has not only changed drastically over the years as far as bringing about the safety and and kind of um, making sure that it's more fair. Uh, as far as 10 years from now, I don't see it changing a ton other than Perhaps, and, and maybe I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for saying this, but perhaps there will be a lot more schools that who are what I call the the black belt mills, the ones that, um, you know, you pay me 14, you pay me an X amount of money, and I'll make sure you get your black belt, whether you deserve it or not, you'll get it because you paid for it. Um, right. And, you know, I, I think the the old school mentality of training hard and yeah, if you, if you get banged up, then so be it. That's just part of martial arts it is going by the wayside and, and uh, it's becoming maybe a little more commercialized for my taste. But unfortunately I do see all the older, more established instructors um, not having as much of an influence in 10 years. Like hmm. they have now. Hmm. I could be wrong. I would. Uh, well, what what makes you think so? Now I'm curious. Well, it's just it's just that um, there are more schools popping up with fresh fresh new black belts who 
uh, have not been trained by somebody who, you know, tested them and put them through the ringer. They there's more black belts now to opening schools that that um, were were those kids that signed up when their parents paid X amount of money to give them their black belt. Uh-huh. Got it. I, I know. I see what you're saying now. I see what you're saying. Okay. Good. I was hoping uh, I was explaining that in a way somebody would understand. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah I, um, I get it. New newbies, newbies with the black belts that are so new they still stick out to the sides. Yeah, <laughs> they still stick out to the side, and you know they they're just parroting information. They don't. I mean, a, a sign of a good instructor is somebody who continues their education and continues to grow and continues to evolve in their own martial art as well as what right. they teach. Exactly. Exactly. <clears throat> and creativity, I think, has a lot to do with it. Uh, being it able to it really it and, and express it in a way that is that uh, uh, is understandable by all learning stuff. Pretty cool. Right. Awesome. So thank you for your question there, uh, Tony. The second question, i got to find it now. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Well, how do I feel about MMA as opposed to Muay Thai? Well, and to kickboxing, the the question kickboxing. was, how do you feel concerning current MMA and or uh, kickboxing as compared to the kickboxing or Muay Thai that you were involved with? And this question was submitted by Dan Roth. Well. I think that Muay Thai, it just in it in itself, is more accepted. I know in the when I was coming through in kickboxing, the whole idea of clinching and knees at the time was thought to be very violent and maybe too violent. Um, although there were Muay Thai organizations coming up in the ranks, you know, just getting themselves a little more prominent and more known, but it wasn't nearly as popular as it is now especially with the event of, uh, you know, K-1. Even with the K-1 rules, it was still more so than American rules kickboxing or international rules kickboxing where you're allowed to kick to the legs. Um, So I think, you know, Muay Thai has has really grown and and become um, very well established as a a sport. And, yeah, I'm calling it a sport at the moment because, you know, as a martial arts, it's something different. But what they're doing is competing in a sport. And MMA, MMA now, (laughs) oh, my Lord, is so much different than it was in 1993 when we all first witnessed it. Um, Right. It has certainly grown and evolved and become something really, really remarkable as a sport. And, you know, I have a lot of respect for it, whereas there were periods of time when I didn't. Um, But... I think it was because it was just pretty one-sided for a while there, and I was a little turned off by it. But it has certainly evolved into something pretty spectacular. Nice. As a sport. Um, I only see, you know, both both sports getting better and better, and, and boxing as well, believe it or not. A lot of people think it's died because uh, because of the event of MMA and Muay Thai, but it hasn't. Yeah, there's still tons and tons of tons of great boxing fans, and right. as a result of that, their purses are immensely larger <laughs> than anyone right. fighting in. 
Muay Thai and MMA. Yeah. Wow. Right on. Well, thank you, Dan Ross, for submitting that question. Um, anything you yeah, wanted to add to one of those questions there, Kat? Uh, no. Okay. No. Um, it'll be interesting to see in the next 20 years what's going to happen with both of those sports. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, let's do this, folks. Uh, let's go ahead and take a short break. And when we come back, we will be talking to our special guest of the night, Joe Franklin. So don't go away, folks. We'll be right back after this. Hi, I'm Ryan Seacrest for RAD. Over 300 people in this country are killed every week by a drunk driver. That's the equivalent of two 747 plane crashes every single week. And the problem isn't going away unless we all do our part to stop it. So if you see someone who's about to drive after drinking, get the keys. Don't leave it up to anyone else. Friends don't let friends drive drunk. A public service announcement brought to you by RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. This is Chicago-style hot dog here. I'm not feeling too good. Turns out, along with all the other bad things my cholesterol does, they say it's a risk factor for strokes. Strokes? Sheesh! Good news from National Stroke Association. Exercising, eating right, and asking your doctor about medicines that can help lower your cholesterol, like statins, may reduce the risk of a first stroke. And if you've already had a stroke, it's even more important you lower your cholesterol. Lower your chances of stroke by controlling your cholesterol. Visit stroke.org today. Packers. Vikings. We come from different places. Uptown. Downtown. We come to different conclusions. Half empty. Half full. But when we live united, we make a real difference in the building blocks of life. Children succeed in school. Families gain financial stability. The health of our neighbors improves, and suddenly so do our communities. Real change won't happen without you. Live United. So give, advocate, volunteer. Live United. Sign up today at liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Greetings and welcome to the world's first and only Martial Arts History Museum. My name is Michael Matsuda. I'm founder and president of the museum. Designed as an educational facility, the museum is a fun place for young people and visitors to experience art, history, culture, and tradition and its relationship to the martial arts. Created as a timeline, it reveals how Asian history has had a unique and positive effect on American history. In just under an hour, visitors will be able to explore the culture and tradition of China, Japan, Korea, the Philippines, Thailand, and even Hawaii. You will be impressed with our section on the history of anime and the role Walt Disney played in changing the world. In our media section, visitors will enjoy reliving their past as they examine our historical timeline of martial arts and film, TV, and print. And as a bonus, visitors will get a thrill from our props from a variety of martial arts movies, including The Karate Kid, Kung Pao Movie, Revenge of the Ninja, Wendy Wu, Big Trouble in Little China, and many more. From Anna Mae Wong to President Theodore Roosevelt, to Bruce Lee to Avatar The Last Airbender and The Ninja Turtles, the martial arts has not only transformed American history, but it changed the world. The museum is a fun and exciting place to visit for the whole family. All the displays here were designed by the artists from Disney, DreamWorks, The Simpsons, and Halloween artists. If you are part of the Unified School District, 
Hit up a homeschool, boys and girls club, the Boy Scouts, or even church groups. Your kids will have a fun time experiencing different cultures and Asian history. I know that there are many great museums out there for our kids to enjoy and explore. Now you can put the Martial Arts History Museum on that list of places to visit. You're listening to the Dynamic Dojo Show. Your source for martial arts talk radio. Okie dokie, and we are back. If you're just now tuning in, this is Dynamic Dojo Talk Radio with Rusty, Bob, and Kat. What time is it? We're only running about 15 minutes late. <laughs> Normally, we try to get done with our first segment at around 6.30-ish, but that's okay. So, if anyone wants to give us a call to talk to us and to talk to our special guest, Give us a call, 347-677-0699. The number's right above my head. Um, so without further ado, I would like to introduce my Facebook friend, who is a practitioner. Join me in welcoming Joe Franklin to the show. Let's bring up his mic here. There we go. There's his mic. Hey, Joe, how you doing? I'm good. How are y'all? Doing pretty good. We're good. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for joining hey, us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm glad to be here. Uh, this is actually quite an honor. I just want to let you all know up front, um, I consider this an honor and a real privilege to be able to speak with you all and be a part of the show. Nice. Very cool. And thanks for taking time out of your, your busy weekend. So right on. So, you know, yes, we, we Yay. Yay. <laughs> What Bob and Kat and I like to do with uh, all of our guests is uh, start off like start off in the wayback machine and and go yeah. into how our guests got started in the martial arts. So our listeners are all ears. How did you get started in the martial arts? Well, it started when I was a young kid. Um, Nothing like on a professional level as far as uh, starting out with any real instruction. Um, mm-hmm. Probably when I was about 12 years old, I got picked on real bad when I was in middle school. Mm-hmm. And the bullying kind of drove me to a point where, you know, I was like wanting to learn things to defend myself and not feel like a victim so much. And... I started reading some books that I had found uh, of Jeet Kune Do, and I started studying some stuff from Bruce Lee on my mm-hmm. own at home. And uh, I did that for probably my, my from about 12 years old through high school. Mm-hmm. And just, just in that little bit, um, I was able to defend myself in school, and by the time I got in high school, I had a little bit of a reputation for people that, you know, were looking to bully people around that they knew not to mess with Joe Franklin. But, um, yeah, and it got to the point where, um, you know, I I remember one instance in high school where me and a friend would walk together to class, and they got these, these long outdoor corridors but they have a metal rain roof from building to building. Mm -hmm. And 
walking through there to, I believe it was our science class, we had to walk past, there was 12 other boys that were sitting on the benches lined up on either side. Mm-hmm. And it was just me and my one friend. And they would throw these crab apples at us from one of the trees that was right next to the rainies. And they did it day after day after day. And me and my friend told our, we told each other, you know, if they throw any apples at us today, there's going to be a problem. We're going to say something. Well, mm-hmm. they did. They did, just as we got to the doors of getting ready to go in the building, and they did. And we looked at each other, and we looked back at them. There's two of us. There's 12 of them. And we was like, you know, we told each other it's not worth it, so we're just going to go on into class. And as soon as we turned around to open the door to go in, one of them threw another one, and it hit me square in the small of my back. Oh, and it was like, not good. It was, Yeah, it was not good. And it was like I had enough especially with everything that I'd been through in middle school. This was high school. It was different. I was bigger. You know, and I I learned some stuff. And I turned around, and I walked right down the corridor to the middle of all 12 of them, six on either side, and I said, which one of you just threw that apple at me? And one guy stood up and said, I threw it, and he pushed me. So history goes, there was a rumor around school where Joe Franklin beat up three guys. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and nobody messed with me ever again. But uh, that that was kind of where I realized that what I did learn actually helped and it intrigued me to study further. And by the time by the time I was 18, I had taught myself by reading the material how to do the three-inch punch. And mm-hmm. that was one of the things that I that I that I thought was really, really cool about, you know, Jeet Kune Do and stuff that Bruce Lee had taught. And by the time I was 20 years old, 20, 21 years old, uh, UFC came about. Mm-hmm. And we watched the first the first UFC, and we watched the stuff that Hoist Gracie was doing with the jiu-jitsu. And mm-hmm. by the time UFC 2 came around, me and a group of guys had got together after working on the weekends and one of my friends' basements is actually where I got my start. Um, We would go to train together in there and pretty much just beat the snot out of each other and practice all these jiu-jitsu moves that we were seeing on UFC with Hoist Gracie and win all his fights. So we kind of like tried to break it down and studied each technique until we could get the understanding of how it works. And uh, mm-hmm. some of the some of the guys actually went uh, they went to a Hicks and Gracie seminar, and brought back some really cool techniques, and we studied that. And we did this. Uh, there was a group of like five or six of us, and we did this hardcore like three or four days a week for five years, studying and and, and basically just fighting each other in this guy's basement. Mm-hmm. And finally, we got to the point where uh, we were renting a karate dojo in the evenings. I think it was two nights a week and we were working out with each other there still learning and they were doing seminars and things and, and, and learning more moves and coming back and we'd all practice and practice and practice and the karate dojo ended up closing down so at that point there was enough of us where we, you know the basement was too small the karate dojo was shut down so we had to find somewhere to go and we found a local place in Greensboro where I'm from in North Carolina 
It's the, um, the Greensboro Judo Jiu-Jitsu Alliance. It's uh, with the United States Judo Association, which oh, is nice. the USJA. Yeah, so we got involved in the Judo Club through the USJA, and this would be my first experience in an actual dojo setting with, you know, real senseis and, and, and having a chance to earn rank. And uh, we kind of we fell in, and with all the experience that we had and things that we've learned, um, just by studying the Gracie system for the time that we had previous to going to the judo club, we went in and we were pretty strong on the mat. Mm-hmm. And, and being with the judo, um, it gave us an opportunity because we got pretty good with our ground skills, but it gave us a real opportunity to uh, study the takedowns and learn the throws to get into position to be in a dominant position once we were on the ground. So we stayed with the judo club, and over, over time some of the guys kind of fell away from our group and they didn't go anymore, but I stuck with it. And um, I ended up being invited to teach jiu-jitsu from one of the other uh, students at the judo club. He teamed up with a local guy that was from Thailand that was uh, opening up a Thai boxing gym, and I was invited to teach jiu-jitsu at the Thai boxing gym. So I did that for a couple of years before it closed, and uh, I got to learn some, you know, I would call it basic skills for Muay Thai, but it was uh it was interesting. I got to learn the Muay Thai that I that I have experience learning with uh, a real instructor from Thailand. So that was pretty cool. And uh I incorporated the Thai techniques into my judo and into my jujitsu and I kinda mixed it all in together and when I taught my guys for a competition and we used to way back when I was younger, this is probably back when I was twenty eight and twenty nine years old. Mm-hmm. We used to go up to uh, West Virginia and compete for Ernie Boggs in his sport jiu-jitsu um, venues. That he would host, host the sport jiu-jitsu fights. So they'd set us up in weight class, and we'd, we'd go up and we'd have some fights there. It was an interesting experience, and uh, I had, I think I had three fights in. I had one fight left before I could go pro in the sport jiu-jitsu circuit. And I had a fellow pull a neck crank on me in my judo club, which is illegal in judo. Mm-hmm. Uh, but needless to say, my number five uh, vertebrae got torn away from my disc in my neck. Holy moly. Yeah. 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 So the, the doctors were like, good. well, no, it was not good at all. It, it pretty much ended my any hopes of having a fight career. So I had to, you know, kind of back away from that. And I, I actually left judo for a while so I could recover. And I think it took me. It took me well over a year before it, it, you know, wasn't completely like agonizing pain all the time. And thank God I wasn't paralyzed because the doctor said literally you're walking around with a broken neck. So I had to be really careful. I had to stop doing martial arts. I, I, I got off the mats. I was, I still had my class at the time at the Thai boxing gym, but I would go in and I would visit and I wouldn't get on the mat. I wouldn't, I wouldn't like, you know, roll hard or work out with the guys. I would slowly demonstrate a technique, and then I had one of my other guys help me run the class, but it eventually started getting better probably within about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And then I gradually returned to the mats against the wishes of all the doctors and things. And, uh, I got back <laughs> on the mat. So I, I yeah, I, I think I started, we all know how that sort of thing goes. Oh yeah. yeah. And that, you know, that was, that was the worst injury, but I've, I've had, I've had many things I've had to stop and heal from like, 
I've had five knee injuries. Both elbows have popped out. I've had a broken ankle twice and a broken wrist. Um, and that now, comes is, to the territory. Is this before or after singing uh, country music? Oh, this was all before I got into that. Actually, ah, okay. This was all before I started uh, singing out in public and stuff. But um, you know, by the time I the, by the time I got into that, when I was getting into country music, I um, I had just about I think earned my showdown in jujitsu through the USJA, mm-hmm. and did, I was in rank for quite a while, but um the judo club was a big help as far as, you know, learning the judo and, and, and the throws and I was able to get into the ranking system and I got I was able to get it get into ranks with the jujitsu. And uh right now um I've gone back to judo after a good while I've been out of the judo because of the injuries and 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 you know, wife and kids and work and but um I stayed teaching jiu-jitsu for several years, but now I've gone back to judo, and I'm going to be 45 this month. And since I've been back, I've already had my knee popped out again, but it's it's already healed, and I've been back to the class for a couple times, and I'm I'm holding together. But um, I'm knee cue right now in judo. I've got another brown belt rank, and then I've got my my black belt rank that I get. Mm-hmm. So I'm two ranks from my showdown in ju- in judo. So I've, I've got it in jiu-jitsu and I taught for a long, long time, but um, when I started getting into country music, I was just kind of going around to some local places, and, uh, you know, they'd have, like, karaoke night at bike night in these certain places, and I used to ride motorcycles, so I I got invited to some places, and people were getting up and singing, I was like, oh, that's cool, but when I was a kid, my dad was a professional singer up north where we're from, and uh, I grew up watching him do it, and I was like, well, that's kind of cool, and I always kind of thought I might could do some country music stuff, but I ended up, you know, kind of swallowing the, the fear and getting up on stage in front of people, and they liked me, so I kept singing. The next thing I know, I got invited around to different places. Everybody, you know, liked me pretty good, and the cool thing about it, one night I met a man. He was in uh, one of the places that I was at, and he was singing some Motown, mm-hmm. and I didn't know who he was. So I I got up and I sang one of my songs and I sat down and he got up and sang some Motown and he was like really really super good. So I went over and I congratulated him that you know I thought he did really really well and I liked his his song and he shook my hand and I met him and he went to the restroom and the lady that was with him told us to go ahead and sit down at the table. So me and Tammy sat down at the table and she says, "Do you know who he is?" And I said, "No, I I don't." She says, "Well, you know who Fantasia Barino is, the American Idol." At the time, uh, Fantasia had won American Idol. I said, yeah, I know who Fantasia is. She said, well, that's Perry Barino. That's her uncle. I said, really? So, Hmm. lo and behold, um, he ended up hiring me to sing in one of his uh, shows that he did here. And uh, we got to be good friends. And then he found out, of course, that I had a black belt jiu-jitsu. So, one Hmm. of the coolest things that I ever did was uh, he had me go with him. Me Me and Tammy went. But I was his personal uh, security on a trip from here in North Carolina all the way to Detroit, up in Michigan. And we went to the Fantasia concert at the Fox Theater backstage. And, you know, I was his personal security everywhere he went. So it was pretty cool. I got to meet all kinds of cool people. And then that night, 
that night, this is really cool too, at that night after the show, we went to a high-rise downtown, and he says, we're going to pick up a friend of mine. And I was like, well, that's cool, because we were going to go to the casino, which I'd never been to one, so they were going to treat us to a casino. And mm-hmm. we ended up picking up Miss Martha Reeves from the Vandellas. Really? Wow. Yeah. Nice. It was mm-hmm. awesome. She came down, and she got in the truck, and and we're riding down to the casino, and he introduces us all, and he tells her that Joe here is a singer, too. And he played my demo CD in the truck for her on the way to the uh, to the casino, and she thought that was really cool, and I thought it was cool because I'm sitting here, you know, this, I remember hearing her on the radio when I was a kid, and my parents knew all their music and stuff, and it was a really cool experience. But, um, cool. yeah, when I, when, I, when I got back... Uh, I just I kept teaching jujitsu and I kept going around and singing. I tried out for some of these uh, the big shows like I went out for Nashville Star, and I went out for the last thing I tried was several years ago. I went they had X Factor came to town, and I tried mm-hmm. that, but no no luck at this point. But um, I did have my um, my demo CD was actually uh, one of the songwriters with Sony Records from Brooks and Dunn actually came to Greensboro to hear me sing in one of the clubs one night. He's he took my demo C D back with him to Sony Records, but it's been it's been a while. This is years ago and phone number got changed several times. I don't know if they tried to contact me, which is a shame, but um I just kept living life. I kept working and, and doing my jiu jitsu and you know, doing the judo and I've been now I've recently gone back to the judo so it's it's been an interesting experience. Nice. But, uh, very, yeah, just, very cool. Well, Joe, what, what have, have you noticed a difference in judo and jiu-jitsu now than when you first started? And what are the differences? I kind of have. Um, not so much in the judo. But, I mean, they changed some of the rules as far as the competition goes. Um, when I was doing it a lot... Uh, they had certain rule set that you you were allowed to do in competition and things they would teach us in the dojo that you couldn't do in competition but you had to know to, you know, get get your credit for your rank and stuff and but now the rules have changed in the competition so much it's like uh it's kinda hard once you train yourself a certain way and then things change but I didn't compete a lot in judo. Um, I was more of, of uh, wanting to learn for, like, my self-defense purpose. And I did compete. I, I, I competed in the States a while back just to have the experience. And it was interesting. And, you know, being at the age that I am and having all the, all the injuries that I've had is kind of not sure if I'd, if I'd compete again. But as far as the jiu-jitsu goes, it's – it started out. It started out um, where there wasn't there wasn't really a whole lot of uh, the um, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu here at the time when I started. There was a few guys right. that were studying, but there wasn't like right now. There's like a bunch of schools. There's a there's a bunch of places you can go. Probably just about every town where you can find somewhere to train. And uh, but back then it was like the nearest the nearest person that you heard of was hours away. So um, mm-hmm. 
you know, and then, then you got some people that try to stand in and be like, oh, well, you know, I'm ranked in such and such association. And I had I had an experience where this fellow came in, you know, back when I was teaching at the Thai gym, and he claimed to have a Gracie Jiu-Jitsu black belt. And he was there for a while, and we traded techniques, and he tested me for my, my Brazilian purple belt. And the disappointment was when it came time, you know, to get the rank, he, I got the belt, but I didn't get a certificate. So it was kind of one of those things Aww. where, you know, I, I did, I made some phone calls and right. I talked to some, I talked to some important people where he claimed he had affiliation. So come to find out it was basically a fraud, which yeah. is one of the point, one of the things I'd like to maybe point out. There's a lot of yeah. people that have claims and, you know, I don't know how it is now compared to then, but, I mean, I'm sure it happens in every every martial art where every you'll have someone that then they claim rank and there's nothing to back it up. But, I mean, I would just yeah. suggest that people do a thorough check on people and, 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 you know, follow the paper trail if they have to. You know, just make sure. But, yeah, so that was kind of a bummer then. And uh, at the time, there was nothing really local, so I, I never advanced in uh, getting any rank in Brazilian. But I studied it enough to 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 do well with it on the judo match in the in, in the judo club. Uh, it was probably one of the uh, one of one of my prouder accomplishments was being so good on the network with our judo club. Uh, was we had visitors would come in from all around, like people would come in from Russia and Germany and different places that, that would visit our club. And uh, I always did really well on the mat. And, you know, with the background in the jiu-jitsu that I had, I was actually undefeated on our mats in our judo club for 10 years. Wow. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they used to call me Houdini because I would always get out of everything. And then they, <laughs> nice. Yeah, we had this That's one awesome. big guy, and he he used to try to lay on me and crush me and smother me, and I'd always find a way out because for me, even even in class, I mean, it's and, and I was always really careful with people if I was to get a submission technique where I would get a hold nice and firm on the hold, but I would apply gradual pressure to get them to tap, and I would give them time to tap. And I know a big problem with it is you see a lot of injuries in jiu-jitsu where guys are snatching and grabbing, and you get a lot of broken arms, you get a lot of broken legs, knees, uh, your ankles. And they're break techniques. It's submission yeah. when, you're comp- when you're in competition, but on the street, it's like it's lethal stuff. It's like you can really break someone apart. And right. some guys, some guys want to get the win so bad, whether in training or in competition, that they'll just grab and they'll snatch it as quick and as hard as they can and you don't have time to tap and you get injured. There's a lot of injuries. I've been injured by that very thing, but I've always been real careful not to do that to people. But, um, the, yeah, they call me Houdini and I would, I would get out of all kinds of stuff anyways, but, um, it was, it was, is there a philosophy? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, it's fine. No, it's um, probably uh, we had uh, a couple visitors at the judo club. Was um, 
from a, I would call it a rival school. From when I first started, before we went to the judo club, we went and uh, we entered a, a local tournament. And uh, one of the schools that sponsored the tournament, peculiarly, uh, peculiarly, their people that were competing were given the wins on a lot of the matches. And we were the guys from the basement at the time, so we, we weren't really we weren't really recognized. And, and even though we thought we fought hard and we did well, but uh, we had a couple of people come from the judo club, to our judo club, I'm sorry, from that rival school, you know, mm-hmm. years later. And uh, when I found out who they were and what school they were from and when we got on the mat and we did our mat work, I made sure that this guy was getting choked out or this guy was going to get armbarred. And uh, it was interesting, but, you know, I've had, I've had a lot of cool experiences with meeting different people regardless, but um, it's, it's been cool. It's been really neat. Minus the injuries. I could have done without a lot of that, but who couldn't, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yep. There had to have been a, a philosophy oh, no or a concept in, in martial arts that, that kept you motivated and kept you from quitting at times when you were, I'm sure you wanted to. Um, oh, you definitely. Share that a little bit? Oh, definitely. Um, there have been many injuries uh, that have really weighed heavy on my mind about why am I doing this. In fact, one of the last knee injuries that I had, the first one was horrible. The first one was absolutely horrible. And somehow I've managed to, uh, between, you know, doing things at home to try to promote healing, and I always went to a local chiropractor because not just for, you know, back and and neck stuff, but the first time I ever popped my knee out, it was really bad. It was, like, literally dislocated on the inside. And I went and got microwave therapy. And it actually helped heal the microwave therapy on my knee. And it kept me out of having surgery. And, you know, some people don't invest a lot of stock in chiropractic work, but I I was comfortable. I knew the guy that I had worked on me since I was 16 years old. So I went back to him for everything. He was actually able to help me get my neck to repair itself without having surgery. And I was not paralyzed, thank God. Nice. That was that was the absolute worst. So I'm I'm right now. I won't say a hundred percent functional because the joints, my knees are a little bit, they're a little loose now because I've popped them both on each either side, so mm-hmm. they're stretched a little. They're a little loose, but they don't hurt all the time. So I'd say they feel pretty decent. I mean, and everything heals, but after you do it several times on one part of the body, you're a little bit leery of it, but. You know, there's, right. there's been a lot of times the doctors have said, you need to quit that mess. Or my mom would be like, you need to quit that mess. Or the wife would be like, you need to give that up, you know. And for some reason, ever since I was a little kid, and I started reading those Bruce Lee books, and I was like addicted. I would sit up all night on the weekends and I'd watch Kung Fu Theater when I was a kid. And I remember theater. <laughs> all the time yeah, I'd too. watch it. I loved it. And, yeah, and yep. my brother we yeah, it's the greatest. And me and my brother would watch it together, and he was nine years younger than I was. So anything that I learned, of course, we went out in the backyard, and I would show him stuff that I was learning, and we would practice and practice and practice. And, you know, by the time we, you know, got into where we were grappling as a group, he came in at 14 years old. He was tapping out the big guys. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, it was cool. But 
for some reason, something inside of me, it's like, it's always like I've had this feeling of doing something great with my life. And the martial arts has, like, been, like, it's been an outlet, I guess you could say, in a way. Because, um, mm-hmm. you know, life is hard. The world can be a mean place sometimes. And, you know, I've I've been through, you know, some really tough times. And it's always been there where I could always go and, and do that where no one can take that away from me. You know, it's always been something that if I really want to do it and, and I'm physically able to do it, I can and it's just, it's part of who I am. It's part of what I am. So it's like, even now, it, I'll be 45, and I've had multiple, multiple injuries. And this last knee injury, when I went back to the judo, I told my wife, I says, I'm going to ease back in. I'm going to try to stay in shape, and I don't want to get hurt. So I'm going to be very careful. But, you know, accidents happen when you're training. So the knee pop, I took, you know, about two and a half months back to sit back at home and heal. And went back a couple times and, you know, was really easy on myself. And, you know, now I'm able to do a little randori and kind of get back to normal. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking, well, my goal is to still try to stay in one piece. And yeah. continue practicing and stay in shape and, you know, earn my showdown in my judo, which has been a goal of mine for the longest time because I, I always felt like it was a part of my life that I had put on, kind of put on a shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, and jujitsu is kind of my forte. They used to call me Joe Jitsu. That was my nickname. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So awesome. I was known for my groundwork skills, but I never, I kind of felt like the judo was a part of my life that was incomplete. It was unfinished. It was not really ever finished because when it, when you're doing a martial arts, you never really finish. You can reach as many ranks as you kind of have as a goal or whatever you feel like you need to accomplish, but you're never really finished because it's a lifelong thing. It's like a lifelong journey. So for me, I mean, for Earn Showdown in Judo, it would feel like a really big accomplishment in my life, especially after all the injuries I've overcome. So, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm shooting for it. And, and I don't know how well I'll be walking by the time I get there, but I'm probably I'm probably going to be sitting, you know, as far as that goes, I'm looking at a couple more years, I think, um, with time and grade, unless I decide to compete, which I'm kind of I'm debating, but I'm not really sure, especially, you know, having bad, had had knee injuries, and and it's, it's no fun to sit on a couch and wishing you could be in class and you get depressed because you can't right. work out. I, I used to be like that, like, oh, and the, and the neck was really bad because I had to lay out for over a year, I mean, it was about a year and a half before I was really comfortable to where I could start doing anything again. And um, yeah, it's been it's been interesting. But a lot of the injuries that I've had, where I decided that maybe I should quit martial arts, and you oh. know, the last the last round that I had, where I was kind of feeling down about it, I was telling my wife, you know, for the last, you know last couple few years it was nagging at me it was part of me that it needs it needs to i need to you know be practicing some way somehow and I, and you know i was teaching a class and i i i, I was a pretty good instructor with the jiu-jitsu because i would train my guys and we were just a small group i was teaching jiu-jitsu in the back um it was like an aerobics room where they did yoga and different things in one of the local um fitness centers and it wasn't a very big one. It was privately owned. So, you know, there was other 
you know, at the time there was other teams here that were doing jiu-jitsu that were like, they were big time, like in Gold's Gym and some of the bigger facilities. And we were working out of this little gym over on the other side of town. And I had, you know, a constant group about, you know, maybe any given night, it was probably five guys to, you know, eight or nine guys. And then we'd get visitors coming in from some of the other local schools that wanted to cross train, listen to jiu-jitsu and, and incorporate. And one of the, one of the guys came, uh, it was a Taekwondo Academy and the instructors and some of the students came and they cross trained with me and to the jujitsu. And mm-hmm. one of the guys actually stayed with me. He ended up being, you know, a really good student. I trained him for three, three months, I think. And he went to his first competition for jujitsu uh, tournament and he won. And within six months he had competed in several tournaments and he won just about, he won everything that he ever competed in. And some of the other guys that I had trained, we brought them, uh, they competed. They they took first place in their stuff. And I thought it was really neat that I'm just a small guy at a little local gym and we were beating some of the big teams. My guys were winning the competitions and word kind of got around, you know, that, that I was a, I was kind of a go-to guy in the area and, People, you know, respected me for my ground skills, and there was guys that I had heard mention that they had knew me, and I had no idea who they were, and it was pretty interesting. And, uh, you know, I felt good about being able to give what I knew to someone else that they could use and do well for themselves with it. So I always enjoyed teaching, and um, it's just a part of me, the martial arts is a part of me where I can't just put it down and never practice again, even with the injuries. And, you know, I told my wife, I says, if I get hurt again, it's probably going to be the the end of me. But it happens. The knee's fine. It's healed. It's been three months, and I'm, I'm back on the mat. Wait a minute, If your wife is like mine, she would say, if you get injured again, I'll make sure you end up with a groin injury. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Well, she's pretty supportive. How do you so. explain that to your friends? I'm injured. It's a groin injury, but it didn't happen on the mat. Well, here's my thing, wife though. got pissed. Here's the thing, though. This was the funny thing, though, with me. And people thought I was crazy, but we'd be we'd be training and practicing, and we'd get pretty rough. I mean, a good day for us back before judo. This is when I was training with the guys in the basement. Uh, a good a good workout for us was we would get in there, we would beat the crap out of each other for about five hours, and we didn't have a good workout if all of us didn't have blood on our gi, but we never knew whose it was. And we'd, <laughs> right, we'd, right. We'd get done. We did. We'd, we'd get done, and then we'd go sit down, and we'd have a hot dog and a beer, and we'd talk about our workout and what we learned and what we like and what we're going to keep and what we'll use and different things. And we analyzed everything. So I learned a lot just by doing that. But, yeah, it's just it's something in me that in some form, some way, I have to I have to do it. And one of our judo sensei here locally just built a brand-new judo dojo in downtown. Um, I drive an hour to get there um, just to be part of it in they just built a new dojo, and they're they're starting trying to incorporate different things. So it's in the, it's in discussions right now of me 
um, starting up a new local jiu-jitsu class. And uh, it's, it's interesting. It's going to be interesting. And uh, I've gotten in touch with another guy that I know that, that's with the uh, he, that's you know he's ranked uh, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu that I'm going to work with to try to get some kind of rank you know recognized with some Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because really that was that was one of my biggest things which is kind of weird because it's one of the the biggest talents in martial arts of things that I've ever learned that I've really pushed and, and learned a lot and done really well with but I've other than that guy being fraudulent, giving me a purple belt, which when I found out, I never got a certificate or anything, so I didn't claim the rank and I never wore the belt. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, I'm not ranked in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and it's it was one of my strong points. So it's kind of strange to be that good at something and not hold any kind of official rank. So I'm going to work on that and uh, with this local guy, and I'm going to get certified somehow, some way and uh, see what level that, you know, they think that I'm at as far as, you know, what I've already learned and practiced for many, many, many years ago. But I'm excited about doing that. And, um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, so I'm looking forward to getting a, hopefully getting a good class going and, and doing some teaching. And one of the guys that I was doing some instruction from the little gym, he's actually head instructor at one of the big gyms here in town. It's called the Octagon MMA. And uh, mm-hmm. he he's he's done really well for himself. And for for a while, when they first opened uh, several years ago, I was coming in because at the time I had tested him for his blue belt, and I got him certified through the US the USJA where I am certified with. And he started doing judo also. And um, I was doing an advanced instruction with him. I think one night a week with some of him him and some of his students for a while. And uh, you know, since then, it, you know, injuries and time and, and different things, but I'm getting back involved in it all now. And uh, he's got a, a guy in there that's really good with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu also that I've been talking to. So it's all going to work out. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to teaching again. And uh, maybe or maybe not. It just depends on how I feel as far as maybe competing at some point or another. But I'm kind of leaning more toward just teaching at my age with the experience I have with the injuries. So, I mean, the injuries in one way are kind of hindering me to where I'm not sure about competing, but at the same time, they're not going to stop me from practicing. I'll, I'll always be practicing. So it's just something in me that won't quit. <laughs> it's probably... It's probably right, yeah. right. I'm a glutton for punishment, for one. <laughs> but I, I yeah. remember one, one, time, one time in the judo club we had... We had this jiu-jitsu guy, which actually was one of the guys from that rival school that I mentioned, without mentioning names. Of course, I, w- I wouldn't want to do that to anybody, but it was the rival school, and one of the students came, and he could never beat me on the mat, and he used to get really upset, but he got me in an arm bar one night, and this is one of those instances where I was talking about where uh, safety's overlooked, which I think is a really huge thing. Um, he got a hold of my arm. He snapped it into an iron bar as fast and as hard as he could, and he popped my elbow. Dang. And he, yeah, it was it was loud. I mean, he he dislocated my elbow, and he looked at me. And he's like, "Oh my god!" He says, "I just broke your elbow." So I could have got off the mat, but this was my rival. This was this was the guy that I was not going to allow to ever beat me. And back then, I was really stubborn. I said. 
well, it's already broke. Forget about it. Let's keep going. So mm-hmm. he's like, okay. So he came back down on top of me, and I spun over, and I, I ended up getting a lapel choke with his knee with my good arm, and I choked him out and won the match. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Tony, call yeah, on we do have to remind our callers, if, if we, have any, we have a caller on the line, but he hasn't pressed one yet. Yep. If you okay. want to come on live, live with us, Press one, and uh, otherwise we'll just think you're listening, and you're welcome to do that as well. Right, right. And here's our number, folks, 347 Right above my head. Our special guest tonight is Joe Franklin, a pseudo jiu-jitsu player. So I have a quick question for you, Joe. Yeah. You know, do you do you feel well? Well, actually, what are your what are your thoughts? Do you or do you not feel that grapplers that train specifically in mat arts, um, you think that they should uh, cross train in some type of striking art to round out their? Oh, definitely, definitely, definitely. And and I I did that. And um, one of the interesting things actually was right about the time that I had suffered that neck injury, I was actually in the process of, of I had talked to some of my senseis, and because um, I think what you're, what you're talking about is very important. Um, I think anybody that grapples should get some experience in judo because you can be the best fighter on the ground. And this is what I learned, you know, when I started. You can be the, you can be the best at the groundwork and Getting to the ground is another story. If you don't know how to stay in control getting there and to get there without getting injured, you defeat your own purpose. Because in the street now, and and I've had to defend myself, and not very often, because, I mean, I'm straight to the point to where if if I feel a confrontation coming on out in the public, I... I, I flat out just look at someone in their eye and I say, look, if this is what it's going to be, this is what's going to happen to you. And I'll tell them exactly what part of their body I'm going to break. Well, you know, knock on wood, it works. They walk away. And there's only been a few instances in, in actual out in the street where I've had to defend myself and the techniques work. I mean, they're sound, and especially with the judo because having the control, being able to get to the ground without getting hurt, has been a big plus for me because, you know, being great on the ground is awesome, but getting there, you know, is another story. And, right. you know, with the striking arts, uh, I practiced the Muay Thai. I, you know, I learned from the Thai instructor. When I was 18 years old, I, I, I got a little bit of dose of the Muay Thai before I ever got into serious training. Was um, my My friend in high school at the time knew that I was, you know, always into martial arts and I was always practicing in the backyard. I would watch videos or read books and I would go back there and I would meditate and, and I would do all these things. And I actually got some meditation techniques by reading uh, one of Stephen Hayes' books, about, oh, uh, huh? The Nin- Ninjutsu oh. Master. Right. And at that time, I was, I was, when I got that book, I was going into high school and it was coming out of being picked on like super, super bad. So when I was 15 years old, I was getting ready to go into my freshman year in high school. And I was, I was brutally picked on from like the fourth grade all the way through eighth grade. 
Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it was horrible. And, and I wasn't a little kid. I really don't know why they picked on me because the main bully guy, I mean, it happened so much that it was a daily thing, daily thing, daily thing. You started to be like, I dreaded going to school, you know, but, um, you know, it's one of the things. But I ended up reading the book. I learned some meditation techniques, and it, it helped me find myself mentally, and it helped me find, you know, mental strength. But to get back on the subject, um, with the Muay Thai, when I was 18, I was invited by a friend of mine to go to a gym downtown Greensboro, and um, I got to work out with Dennis the Hurricane Lane, and he was uh, multi-champion in, in kickboxing and Thai boxing, and he had done, you know, a lot of a lot of cool things. Um, and he, he was quite the fella. He, he's uh, very strong, and he, he he was demonstrating some things to me, and I learned some techniques, and it was interesting. I, I worked a couple sessions with him, and and then I ended up, you know, getting started dating and, you know, getting married, having kids and stuff, and then I didn't get real serious about the arts again until I was about 2021, 20, but uh, the Muay Thai helped a lot. Um and then, you know, getting in at the Thai gym where I was teaching, I learned more in-depth proper technique and different things, and I incorporated it with the judo and the grappling. So, yeah, as far as grappling goes, to put anything else with it is always a plus. So, you know, you know, my choices were the Muay Thai and the judo. So it kind of made me feel more well-rounded, whether I'm standing up or I'm in a clinch or I'm on the ground. I always felt comfortable. So, yeah, I would definitely highly recommend, you know, putting something with the grappling nice. and learn and, and, and learn the basics. This is one mm-hmm. of the things I experienced was, um, you know, doing some instruction, uh, you know, with some, some people that had started learning some jujitsu stuff. And I noticed that what happens a lot of guys are in a hurry. They want to. They want to learn how to do an armbar. They want to learn how to choke someone out. They right. want to learn how to do. They want to learn how to do a heel hook. You know. They want to learn how to be offensive, how to get that move, but they're not focused on learning to protect themselves. They're not mm-hmm. focused on learning how to fall or how to roll properly, or or getting to the ground. You know, is is pretty important if you're a ground fighter. You got to get there safely without getting injured, and you have to be in control. So when you're on that ground. You know, and you you end up down there, you're in full control, and you're comfortable. But if you get hurt when you hit the ground, you're not going to be able to fight on the ground. I mean, because, mm-hmm. you know, the versus, versus someone that knows how to throw versus someone that don't know how to fall is not a good combination. So I was I would take people back to the basics. You know, I know you're excited about learning all these cool techniques. That's all well and good, but you need to learn how to take a fall. You need to learn how to get to the ground safely. So I did a lot of... Um, a lot of work on that, and I focus probably most of my focus on myself and all my training was I always put my defense first, and that's the way I taught all my guys when I would teach them, and I think that's why they did so well in their tournaments and in competitions. Um, and I tell them this, you know, you can be the best defensive fighter out there, but if somebody else is just as good as you, and they get one in on you and you don't really know how to defend it, you're in trouble. So right. I always told them to focus, focus on your defense first because, and we would drill, like I would run these guys through speed submission drills. I would run them, I would call it around the world where one guy would lay on the mat and the other guy would get like say on an ankle 
and he would work ankle lock from multiple positions in different directions, and then you would switch to the upper part of the knee, and then you would transition to, like, say, an arm, an elbow, a wrist, and do different manipulations on the joint to lock it in different directions and work your way around the individual from, you know, different kinds of chokes, the arm locks, wrist locks, ankle locks, knee locks, different things. And I, I just, I, I called it around the world. You know, we'd work around the world. We'd play that game, you know, where we'd do the different techniques around each part of the body to get it from every angle. Because you can just, you can learn one technique, but if you don't know how to adjust it, because when you're in a fight, especially a serious fight in the street where there's a lot of aggression and adrenaline and guys are really strong, and it's not like just rolling in class. When someone's actually trying to put you out in the street, it's totally different. So you got to learn how to adjust your techniques from each angle according so you can, you know, still be effective with what you're trying to accomplish. But, you know, for me, the defense was always my biggest thing, and I think that's why I was so good on the mat because if you work yourself up to a very strong defense first, you already know in the back of your mind that the person that's in front of you you're, you feel comfortable in the fact that you're confident in your defense where you know that the person in front of you can't necessarily beat you right uh-huh. now. I mean, it, there's potential is always there. But in your mindset, you know that your defense is strong enough where you can look at this person when you lay in on the mat and you look at them like I used to, and I would tell myself, all right, I know this guy's not going to beat me, but I'm going to hold off, I'm going to defend, and I'm just going to figure out his combination to beat him. And it, it gave me a lot of success over a lot of years on the mat where just having a very strong defense and I would, I would let them be the aggressor. I would let them come to me. And sometimes it just depends on how comfortable I felt or how big the guy was, or the, you know, or how aggressive they were being is a key factor. Also how aggressive they are compared to whether I'm going to be offensive from the get go, or I'm going to play my defense and let them wear themselves out or let them come in and commit to me to make a mistake you know, and bringing some, an arm in too close or too deep or straightening a limb or, or, and I would capitalize and just defend and then I would work my offense off my defense. So a lot of guys focus on their offense and they don't pay a lot of attention to defense um, and it, it, it is secondary. But for me, having a strong defense first, it was a real success as far as that work. And, um, you know, that's the way I taught my guys, and, and they did really well, too. So that's just – it's a big angle for me, and that's it's something that I've always implemented, you know, in my training and in my teaching. So big defense, um, combine other things with the grappling, uh, you know, learn some judo, um, learn how to fall, and learn how to do your roles. And if you, if you know how to fall – you know, whether it's on the mat or on the street, because I've, I've, be, I've been at work before in, in a basement or something. I, you know, you know, no one's around. It's just a construction site or something, and i got to get down and do something. I would break fall on the concrete. And I was constantly, like, even outside of the dojo, I'd be like, whenever i got to get down and do something, I'd, I'd drop a break fall on the hardwood or drop a break fall on the concrete and practice on hard surface. So in the street, if you fall and you know how to take a fall, and you know how to fall properly, even though if it's concrete or asphalt, if you know how to fall, it's not going to hurt as, nowhere near as bad as if you don't know how to fall. You know, so with the right. grappling, with the grappling, I would, I would really, really recommend some judo and some basic fall I and mean, rolling techniques will, will definitely be a big help. Because, I mean, you can, you can do your striking, and if the guy gets in on you, you get a clinch, 
when you know how to throw, you're going to get to the ground and you're going to stay in control. And, you know, a lot of fights, if you throw a guy just right and you know how to direct your throw, when they hit the ground, the fight's over. They're going to break Exactly. I mean, especially outside. I mean, because some of the throws are, are dangerous. Um, without a mat or not in the gym setting, in the dojo, out in the street, if you've got to use your judo and people don't know how to follow the, you know, the general, the general population, if they don't have any kind of a, an experience with judo or falling or getting thrown, they're in a lot of trouble. I had, I had one fellow that was uh, quite a bit bigger than me, and it wasn't like, I kind of felt bad because it wasn't like a real serious thing. He was kind of picking at me, and it really wasn't a big deal, and we were kind of laughing, right? And, and it was, you know, it was, uh, my dad was there, and uh, it was uh, it was crazy. But the guy started poking at me, and he was laughing. And dad was like, you shouldn't do that. And he's like, oh, come on. What's he going to do? Because he's big. This guy was a bodybuilder. Well, I reached down. He, he grabbed me around like a side headlock type thing. And I put my right hand behind his back to his waist, and I scooped his legs with my left hand, and I picked him straight up in the air. And I looked him straight in the eye, and he's laughing at me. So he lets go of my head, you know, he let go of the headlock, and I set him back down on the ground on his feet. And he's laughing, right? And, and we're all kind of cutting up. And we get back, you know, we walk a little further. This is outside, mind you. And by the time we got off the sidewalk into the grass, he grabs me by the head again. And he thought he was going to give me a what for. <laughs> and I put my right foot in across the front of him, and I kind of did I kind of did like a, a Tayatoshi type throw where I dropped down to my knee and I brought him over my back. Well, the poor guy hit the ground so hard because he didn't know how to fall for one, plus I was already down low. Throws are a lot harder, you know, when you pop them from a lower position because the, they, they come over so fast from a smaller, when, when you're smaller down lower in front of them. And he hit the ground so hard, the poor guy was on a tiger bomb patch for two weeks, and he could barely walk. He landed on his sciatic. But, and I felt horrible. I really did. But, you know, and there's been a couple other things where it was, it was a serious thing. Um, you know, I had, I had this one fellow that he was drunk. And I was with a friend, and this, this guy came up in a Jeep full of guys causing trouble, and you know, he came over there, and his buddies were standing around, and he was looking to fight, and I was kind of like, I don't know, man, this guy's drunk, and, you know, I, I don't I don't take pride in beating people or, or hurting people, and it, I, I try to avoid it whenever possible, and uh, the guy got, you know, antsy, and he started throwing punches at me, and I was kind of, you know, ducking him and dodging him and kind of swatting him away, and he got in close to me. When he stuck his foot out, I swept his foot. I didn't even touch him with my hands. I just reached out with my foot, and I side-swept him and caught, caught one of his feet, and I pulled it out from under him. He hit the ground. He did a John Claude Van Damme split. Poor guy. He ripped his groin. So the fight was over. That was it. And I didn't have to hit the dude or nothing. And, you know, it was just one of those instances where, you know, a little judo technique, you know, got me out of a pinch. But I did feel bad for him. His buddies had to pick him up and carry him upstairs and ice pack him, but um, just little things, but yeah, the judo has been really cool to know and it, it does help, but you know, a lot of experiences, a lot of experiences and you know, I, I wouldn't trade my time on the judo mat 
for anything. You know, and the jiu-jitsu is my forte as far as groundwork. And it, you have groundwork in judo also, but the groundwork right. in judo is more it's more limited to the rules. So you're only allowed to manipulate, like, iron bars certain ways. And you can do all kinds of different chokes, but, you know, the judo don't allow neck cranks of any kind. They don't allow attacking the knees. They don't allow attacking the ankles or the wrist. No small digits. Um, so techniques are limited. Okay. Right, in competition, but see, they you you have to train that way too. Also, in the dojo, you're not allowed to use those techniques when you're when you're working out. At least where I'm where I'm from, in my experience in the dojo that I've been a part of with the judo center is you don't practice the techniques that aren't allowed in competition. Basically, as far as like um, knee bars and ankle locks and wrist locks and that type are not are not you know, done on the judo mat. Um, so I kind of did that, you know, I did judo and I did my jiu-jitsu where I was teaching my own class. And, and, you know, there was a time when I was doing both and I was working out like five nights, five nights a week. I was hardly ever home and my body was starting to hurt. And I was getting injured. I was getting sore, but I kept, I kept doing it and doing it. And finally I just, you know, you gotta, you gotta decide at some point for your own safety and health, you know, take a break from one or the other. So it's kind of, it's kind of jumped back and forth for me over the years, but so, so wait, you're not allowed to practice the stuff that actually works, the good stuff. That's a bummer. Well, well in the <laughs> judo mat work, we weren't allowed to do that. But in the jujitsu mat work, when when we would practice, um, you know, basically, you know, anything goes. I mean. God, when I used to work out with the guys in the basement, we were brutal on each other. So, you know, getting into it in a, in a mat work setting where a lot of that stuff wasn't allowed, it was it was pretty easy to transition into. A little bit hard at first because you got to hold back and you can't do a lot of things that you're used to doing. But, I mean, me and the guys were not nice to each other, and we were all best friends. And we were literally, we'd be working out, and if you know the guy is sweating and and you know, probably one of the worst things you can experience when you're sweating is if you get your eyelids scraped because it burns right. super it bad. Right, it burns, yeah. It burns. So we would actually we would actually work submissions on each other, and we'd, all, we'd always have, like, a little chin stubble, you know, where you shave, and it just starts to grow back so they're stiff. And, I hate man, that crap. I'll say that right now. We have, We're just with the dudes that don't shave. Just say it. Yeah. I hate it. So, hate it. so, so Joe, that. is that how you got your name, Buffalo Buffalo Joe? Yeah, my dad. My dad calls me Buffalo Was Joe. Is that your stubble? If I don't, don't shave and I let it grow out just enough, he said I look like a buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But yeah, we had we had one guy that well, he used to like to put his chin stubble in your eye socket and press his chin into oh. your eye. So of course you of course you close your eye, but the chin stubble will just rake your skin on your eyelid, and especially if you're sweating. I mean, it would burn literally to the point where you'd have to tap. And I'd have you, a razor inside my gi the next time some dude did that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was, yeah, it, it was it's on. It's it on like Donkey Kong. I got a straight razor, MFR. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was interesting. Hey, time, but. Hey, Rusty, we, we, the 704 press one, do uh, you want to take a call? Yeah, let's see. Let me get over to my other window here. Okay, area code 
704 you're on Dynamic Talk TV. Hey, this is Pat McDaniel. How are you guys? Hi, Professor. How hey, are you? Hey, Patrick. Hey. All right. All right, all right. Hey, I've been listening, and of course I came in kind of late. Uh, and okay. listening to the conversation, I, I heard um, Greensboro mentioned, and I was kind of wanting to know uh, where Joe is from and where, where does he operate. I am uh, just, I'm living north of Greensboro, North Carolina right now. I, I lived in Greensboro for, oh gosh, well, we, moved, we moved here when I was a kid. I was nine years old. We moved from uh, Vermont, actually. I was born in Massachusetts, okay. but we, we moved from Vermont, and we lived in Greensboro for a long, long time. But um, I live in Mayodan right now. I'm about 20 minutes south of Virginia. But I commute okay. to Greensboro. I work out of Greensboro. Right. And uh, I went to the uh, the Greensboro Judo Jiu-Jitsu Alliance with the USJA. They had a club in Greensboro at a rec center for – they had been there a long time before I started. Like, And it was over probably 20 years ago. And uh, right. they just now left the rec center to open up a new dojo in downtown Greensboro, right off of mm-hmm. um, Highway 40. Yeah. Where it, where it merges in with 421 and 20, Highway 29. I know the area. And yes, if you're if you're familiar with the area, you know where South Elm Eugene Street is, right off of 40. No, not once you get into town. I'm just familiar with the highways. Okay, all right. Well, it's right off but of Highway here, 40. Here's here's my here's my uh, my question is, yeah, 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 I operate a Kempo school uh, right between Charlotte and Concord, North Carolina. And okay. Uh, I do have I do have clinics, you know, from from time to time. And actually, I try to do at least one once a month. I try to do a clinic. And yep. I do have several students that have gotten into competition grappling, and I've right. always wanted to uh, to get someone to come and give us very good fundamental training on the jujitsu and judo and grappling techniques. So uh, I'm, right. I'm listening to you and just wondering if if I can get in touch with you. Uh, what it would take to get you down to come and do a clinic for us, you know, in the near future. Well, actually, that would be that would be something that I would be interested in doing. Of course. Um, okay. We we'd have to, uh, you know, exchange some phone numbers and. Uh, of course. Yeah, but that's that's definitely a possibility. I mean, because that's that's not terribly far away. No, I know. No, I, I go through there all the time. Uh, we actually do competition yep. in uh, Danville, Virginia, and uh, right. and Martin, Martinville, Virginia. So we go through that okay. quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's All definitely right. a possibility. That's definitely a possibility. Um, okay. What What is your last name again? Franklin. Joe Franklin. Okay. Yep. All right, Joe. Well, I'm Pat McDaniel. And nice to meet you. Uh, likewise, I, I have a I have a Facebook page of Pat McDaniel if you're on Facebook. I am. I am. Okay. Yeah, well, look me up on Facebook and we can get information. Uh, you know, as far as uh, how we can get in touch with each other more personally, and see if we can set up some clinic times, man. Because I would like for someone to come in and show my show my students some some great fundamentals. That would be awesome. And what was your full name again? Pat McDaniel. Pat. McDaniel. Yes. 
you can yeah. find you can find me on Facebook too, and I've I've got a unique profile picture. It's uh, I'm in my gi with uh, bamboo forest surrounding me. Okay. Just look Is up it Joe uh, Franklin. Joe Franklin. Yep. Okay. I will and look I you be, up, uh, Mr. Franklin. I would be I would be glad to work out something with you and and come down here and 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 do some demos and and do some training with you guys. Man, that's out of sight. I really appreciate that. Oh, definitely. I appreciate the opportunity. All right, no problem. But we'll definitely make a plan. I do appreciate it. All right, no problem, sir. I'll look you up on Facebook and so we can we can communicate in uh, more detail. That would be awesome. All right, Rusty and Bob, thanks a lot, you guys. Thanks for calling. Hey, Patrick, anytime, man. Thanks for calling. Yeah, no problem. Yes, sir. I look forward to meeting you. Uh, likewise. Thank you. I see Facebook friend requests <laughs> happening here That's, pretty soon. Yeah, so, awesome. absolutely. Yeah, so for yep. anyone else that uh, would like to ask Joe any questions, our phone number down here. I had to move the uh, phone number masthead from above my head to down below because I realized that the 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 over the overhead marquee on Facebook that says live on it completely covered the screen. So there's our phone number right down there. Six four seven six seven six zero. back a little bit um, to get back into your uh, singing career. Now, you said you had a demo CD out. Did you, do you have your own band? Do you do gigs? I, I, I don't. Um, when, I, when I was doing what they call a karaoke circuit here locally, was I started out where I was riding my motorcycle, and I got with some guys at the local bike shop, and they said, well, you know, this, this club down the road has bike night on Thursday nights. We all ride our bikes up there, and we get a beer, and we talk, and we hang out. So I'm like, all right, that's something cool. I'll, I'll make new friends in the in the motorcycle community. So I went, and when I got there, I saw that they had they were doing singing, like you know, karaoke night. And they, they did that on bike night, which was it was interesting to hear different people get up and hear how they sound. And I had already you know sang you know basically growing up at home just on my own you know practicing different songs just to try them because I grew up watching my dad sing. He used to have a, um, a professional band up north when I was a kid in the tri-state area up in Vermont, Massachusetts, and New York. Uh, he was Bobby Lee Franklin, and he was real famous up in our area. And uh, we actually got in North Carolina because he moved down here. His uh, One of his lead guitarists had family in Thomasville, and he moved back home, and Dad moved us down here so they would be closer to commute because Dad had won some awards in Nashville for songwriting and some different things, and he was going to commute back and forth to Nashville. But um, what happened with that is when we got here, he had an opportunity to go uh, do a tour in England. And they told him that he wasn't allowed to bring my mom or all of us because I'm one of five kids. I have four siblings. And dad is a real family guy. And he told them that he couldn't do the tour if he couldn't bring his family. So Basically, he turned it down, and he just stayed home and retired from singing, and he just worked hard every day and, and, and you know, supported us all. And 
he, he sacrificed a big chance because he loves us all so much and he wanted to be with his family. So, I mean, but as a kid growing up, you know, up north where we're from, I, I used to see Dad singing in these big shows all the time for the people, and it was cool. And I always kind of sang and stuff to myself when I was a kid, and I recorded some stuff on a little machine I bought a long, long time ago, and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. But I thought it, I thought I was okay. But as far as getting out in public, I'd never done it before. But I was I was going to the bike night at this one particular place, and I was going there for about a year. And I was just standing in the corner, you know, listening to people sing. And then after a while, I got the guts worked up to go get up on the microphone. My first song ever was, uh, I, I sang that Garth Brooks song, The Dance. Mm-hmm. People loved it. Sure. They loved it. So they came up and they asked me to sing another one. So I, I started singing all the time. Next thing I know, I, I, I was singing there for several years. And everybody, I had people traveling from hours away telling me the only reason they were coming on bike night was to hear Joe Franklin sing, and I started to get a following. And then I was invited to other places around town on different nights of the week, so I was kind of making a, a little circuit on my own. And it was kind of cool doing it that way because I didn't have to worry about the hassle of, of having a band and, you know, having to try to schedule stuff. And I wasn't making any money at the, at the same time. But for me, it was okay because I was just sharing something that I was good at with people, and they enjoyed it. And, you know, I was making a name for myself, and I was getting a following, so... Um, building up to something bigger, you know, eventually someday was was the hope at the time. But I ended up uh, I ended up being invited to a local place. This this lady was uh, throwing a um, a Halloween party, and uh-huh. I was invited to come sing at the Halloween party. And I went, and the DJ there was a uh, a fellow that has a local recording studio. And they had another guy there. He was a professional Elvis impersonator. And he he came and he he was scheduled to do an Elvis show that night. And I met the DJ and he's like, so you're the Joe guy that we've been hearing about. And I'm like, yes, sir. And he said, well, we're going to set you up here in just a little bit. I said, that's cool. He said, you know, he asked me what I would sing and I told him a list of songs and different things. And uh, I got up and sang a couple songs, and he was like, well, that was pretty good. And I, you know, I thanked him and everything, and the people were all, you know, yelling for me and cheering on my name. And the DJ said, all right, well, we're going to get our Elvis guy up here. And the Elvis guy took the microphone, and he was going to start his Elvis concert thing, his his Elvis show. And um, he says, well, I'm going to try to do... My stuff, he says, but th- he says, this is going to be kind of hard getting up after this guy, you know. And he got the mic and he went, he went to start uh, getting ready to do one of his first songs. And one of the people from the audience, the, the crowd of people there, walked over to the guy and took the mic away from him. Oh, <laughs> and no. They, brought it over. they took it away from him and they brought it over and handed it to me. <laughs> I oh, felt no. horrible. And they were like, we want Joe, we want Joe, we want Joe. Well, the Elvis guy packed up his stuff and left. <laughs> I oh, felt no. bad. Oh, I felt wow. bad. Hey, Joe, do you know who um, John Lynn is? Not familiar. Okay. Don't Just familiar. curious. That's okay. He's open for a John. lot of really big country bands. And oh, okay, okay. John Lynn. John Lynn. I don't think I've heard the name. 
But um, that's okay. Just I'll curious. listen for it. I'll I'll look for I'll look for him. I'll see if I can't find anything on him. But that, yeah, I don't. It's not familiar. But um, yeah, that was it was interesting. But I I right. I, I stayed and um, I sang yeah. for the folks, and it was it was a fun night. I'm gonna kind of butt in here. I'm gonna kind of butt in here for a second because anyway, um, mm, kind of here for a second cause we have one caller. <laughs> I kind of yep, want to yep. take the call before we go off the air because we only have about five minutes left. So, okay, area code four one seven four one seven. You're on Dynamic Dojo Talk TV. Who's this? Hey, Rusty. It's Tony. Hey, Tony. How are you? Hey, Tony. Real good. How is everybody? Pretty good. Pretty good. How are you? Right. Doing well. Wonderful. Thank you. No, I'm really enjoying your stories, man. Sounds like you've had a great life. Oh, it's been fun, man. It's really been fun. And, you know, there's there's a lot of other cool things that stand out in, in my history with the martial arts and, and the training and stuff that it's just, I mean, you can't really tell everything all in one evening, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been, it's been a really big part of my life. It's been, it's been real good. Even, even having all the injuries and coming back from and continuing to practice is, it's actually been really cool. And, and now to be honest, um, here recently, I've made a lot of really cool friends in the martial arts community on Facebook. And I've got a little exposure, you know, with, with some of the stories and things that I've talked to people about. And, um, Alan Alan Goldberg just uh, inducted me into the 2018 Hall of Honors. Nice. So I, I I'm planning I'm planning to make a trip to Jersey. Um, well, to be there for, for this. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. But uh, uh, yeah, he's he's got me. Uh, I got to receive an award for outstanding dedication to martial arts. So yeah. that's, that's uh, you deserve really that cool. one most definitely. <laughs> Well, I appreciate Congratulations, it. Joe. Yeah, Thank right. you very much. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. But yeah, it's 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 definitely a a really cool thing. And uh I was rather surprised, but I mean yeah, I got the certificate from him in the mail and the invite and I was like, Man, this is awesome and I was like speechless. I mean it's incredible. So yeah, I'm I'm definitely looking to make that trip and uh you know, see what happens from there. Um you know, I've, I've got wonderful people in the martial arts community as as friends on Facebook, and it's like just to be able to chat with them and, uh, you know, message with them. Like, I mean, Art Camacho, uh, Sunny Singh. Um, I'm friends with Cynthia Rothrock now, and just, you know, I just recently got to be friends with um, Ron Van Cleef. It's just incredible. And, and uh, you know, I grew up like everybody did. You know, we watched the movie Bloodsport, and you know it was the true story of Frank Lewis, and it was an awesome film. Right, it, it inspired me, and you know, and wanting to keep pursuing martial arts, and just having a chance to be friends with the real Frank Dukes on Facebook has been incredible. And uh, just, I love these people. It's, I've, I've looked up to them my whole life, and you know, to be able to say that you know I know them now, and on a personal level, as far as you know, even if it's over just a social media setting, but it's pretty cool. It really is. And I really, I really appreciate all of them, you know, taking the time and, and, and really being real people, you know, and, you know, like yourself, Christina, that, you know, to have faith in someone that's in the martial arts community, not necessarily because of things that 
have accomplished or haven't accomplished just to be a real person and to, you know, have friends that are in the arts is just awesome. I really do appreciate all of it. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Well, hey, I, was talking, or anything I was talking. I'm sorry for that, but I wanted to call in and say thank you for your dedication to the martial arts, to your judo and Brazilian or jiu-jitsu, not just Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I have been listening. And, uh, yeah, kind of yeah. a hybrid. I'm kind of a hybrid. <laughs> yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, uh, I tell my students constantly, if my doorstep is where you stop, you're stupid. Because yeah. there's so much out there to learn that just stopping in one area, it's it's not the right thing to do, especially nowadays where martial artists, you yeah. never know what they have in their repertoire. Right, right. And, and you never know who you're going to meet on the street. Exactly. So it helps to have you know, good backgrounds in different areas. Um, yep. And, you know, a little while ago, I, I kind of got off track, but back when I had my neck injury, I was in the process because I, had, I had, was studying the Thai boxing. I was teaching jiu-jitsu at the Thai boxing gym, and I was in the judo, and I learned a lot of techniques. And a lot of my ground techniques aren't necessarily uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but just with my own experiences being on the mat and being in – I've probably been twisted in every position you can imagine. I've been under a guy. Yeah, it's it's crazy. So a lot of techniques that I do are techniques that I devised myself, just experimenting. So I mean, I have a lot of my own techniques. And when the guys were competing under me when I was teaching back then, I was just calling it Franklin Jiu-Jitsu, was my last name. But since then, uh, you know, more recently, I I started thinking about. I'm like, well, I I I practice and I've taught some uh, Muay Thai boxing. And I practice and teach some judo to the guys, and I've practiced and taught jujitsu. So if I was to combine all three of those arts together, I came up with a name, which would be Thai. It's not Taijutsu like you would see already that's there. It's it's spelled Thai like Thailand, and J U D T S. This Taijutsu is what I call it, but. Way back in the day when I started to combine all these things together to make the one flowing system with the Thai boxing, judo, and jiu-jitsu, I was actually going in front of some of the uh, members of the martial arts committee doing some demonstrations. Uh, uh, one of the local towns nearby, um, one, of, one of the instructors was on the committee, and uh, you know, I was directed to him to where if I could do some good demonstration of some techniques that I could develop my own system and have it recognized which was a goal of mine at the time. And, you know, granted, it, had it been able to, you know, complete the demo, it would have been awesome to actually see where it could have went. But um, I suffered the neck injury, and it kind of put a halt to everything. So it's something that I've never really continued. But I am kind of curious about someday maybe seeing what it takes um, to get my own techniques devised into what I've learned and what I've studied in the different arts combined to, you know, maybe have something recognized to where, you know, it would be uh, kind of unique, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Right. Now, Joe, I, I hate to cut that. in, but we are, we are out of time, and we're going okay. we're, we're gonna to go into audio only. Uh, I yep. do thank you, and, and on behalf of the show, we thank you for being on. Rusty, do you have any last comments? Um, no, I don't. It was a great, uh, it was a great 
time. Great interview. Um, I'm guessing that, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm guessing oh, that if we had gotten done with our first segment at about 6.30, we'd um, have uh, just enough time to to finish out the uh, finish out the uh, rest of the interview. But that's okay. <laughs> that's yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm thrilled to have been able to be a part of it. And, you know, I don't have a huge success oh, story, but, I mean, it's 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 all been real and it's it's a big part of my life and I I appreciate everything I've ever done and learned and uh, I really appreciate the chance to be on the show with you guys because I mean I tune into your Facebook Live on the show a lot and I'm making a lot of comments and and I get to hang with you guys and it's been fun but to actually be a part of it and talk to y'all is just amazing and I really appreciate the chance to do this. Well, well that's wonderful. You have a Very great cool. night, Joe. Well, thank you, yeah. Joe. Have yeah, a great thank night. You. Appreciate it. Well, thank Thanks you very much. You're welcome. Okay. Thanks for calling in, everybody, for everyone that called right. in. And Bye, everybody. And thanks, Bye, everybody. Kevin. All right. Great co-host. We'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye now. Thank you. Bye.